You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. Find Hebrews chapter 7 yet. Verses 20 and 22. And it says, And, and inasmuch as he was not made a priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he, Jesus, with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn it and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Father, we thank you for this better covenant. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have revealed to us in your written word in the Bible this covenant promise to us. And as we open your word today and as we ponder upon this covenant and the benefits therein, we ask that you bring revelation knowledge to us so that we would grow by it and be in a position to be more effective ministers of reconciliation. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So just a, just a quick recap. Webster's from 1828 says that the covenant of works is an impli- it's implied in the commands, the prohibitions, and promises of God, or in other words, in the Bible. The promise of God to man, that man's perfect obedience should entitle him to happiness. This do and live, and that do and die. So our covenant is relational. God has promised to act if we will act. He said, if you act in accordance with my word, I will respond in accordance with my word. A covenant is the highest form of agreement. It doesn't only rely upon the terms, but it also relies upon the integrity of the participants. And that's why it's so It's so important to understand that God does not change. If he said it, he meant it, and it is established. There are many people that that act like God changes his mind weekly. But no, God doesn't change. So we can rely upon the integrity of him, and therefore upon the integrity of his word. Covenants are not intended to be broken. When God established his covenant with Adam, with mankind, he never intended for it to be broken. But you know, mankind, we're, we're pretty good at fouling things up. Amen? You ever fouled anything up? <laughs> yeah, we're pretty good at fouling things up. When you covenant with somebody, it unifies you with that person. God unified himself with Adam, he unified himself with Noah, and he reaffirmed that unification with Abram. And we saw that when he reunified himself with Moses and then wrote it down. He says, now now you got it. Keep this before your eyes. Meditate on it day and night. God is the most serious covenant maker, backing his covenant up by his integrity. So there are two covenants that we have been given, and they're both found inside what we call the the Bible, the modern. It's made up of 66 books, 
a old covenant and a new covenant. And we took some time and took several weeks and went over the old covenant. If the first covenant had been good enough, we wouldn't have needed a second one. Amen? And maybe you could say it like this. If this first life had been good enough, we wouldn't have needed a second one. Right? Hebrews 8 and 7. Let's read that from the Amplified. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7. For if the first covenant had been without defect... There would have been no room for another one or an attempt to institute another one. And what was the defect? The defect was humankind. Again, man's propensity to foul things up. And so when mankind fell, they broke the covenant by allowing sin. See, God's covenant never gave place for sin. So when sin came in, it broke a covenant provision and caused mankind to be doomed to this earthly, corporeal, physical death. It allowed, the Bible says, allowed death to reign. So now there was a good reason because of this defect. Now we needed something We needed something that was missing from the Old Covenant, and what was missing was that redemptive provision for sin. See, the Old Covenant had an atoning provision where God could allow man to atone or cover up, as it were, with the blood of animals their sin. But what was the problem with that? It never removed it. It, it. it was always there. It just covered it up. You know, it's like if you sweep your floor, right, and you get all the dust together, and then you just take the, the rug and cover it up. The dust is still there, but it's covered up. And so God gave a, an atoning provision, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement annually, where sacrifice was made for a nation. To atone for the sins. But it caused and required continual sacrifice. And the old covenant, here's the neat thing. The old agreement, the old covenant, provided some great things for us. It provided prosperity. It provided peace. It provided health and healing. But its shortcoming is it did not provide for forgiveness of sin, only the covering of sin. The Old Covenant also required adherence to the commands of the law of God. Again, like Webster said, do this and live, do that and die. It required adherence to the commands of God. Failure to obey led to the removal of God's covenant protection. And when you read the Old Covenant in light of the New Covenant, when you read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, you realize it wasn't God coming down and beating people on the head. He didn't have to do that. Because if you just removed yourself from God's covering, the devil was good enough at beating people over the head, God didn't have to get involved. 
And that's what happened to Israel time and time and time again. They would get in covenant with, come back into covenant with God, come back into agreement with God, begin to worship God, and the nation would prosper. And their enemies would be subdued. And then a king or uh, uh, you know, somebody would come in and they uh, would start worshiping Baal and, and you know, start sacrificing kids and setting up high places. And then what would happen? They'd remove themselves from the covering of God. The nations around them would come and overtake them. And then they would be in bondage again. And then what would happen? Over a period of time, they'd start crying out to God, Oh, God, what have we done? Why, have, why are we like this? You know, and then they'd come back into covenant with God, and they'd get back into covenant with God, get back under the shadow of the Almighty, and God, again, would reestablish them and would deliver them. The old covenant's interesting. It's just like, like this. It's like up and down, up and down Israel. Amen. So God's covenant protection did not provide a utopia. And God has never promised us a utopia. God's protection always made a way. His covenant always made a way. But life was still subject to the effects of the curse. But God always made a way. So now let's talk about the second covenant. And let's understand that, that the second covenant is not, though we call it the new covenant, because it is a new covenant, it is built upon the old covenant. The provisions of the old covenant did not die away. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they remain forever. The covenant of God always remain. So let's go back to my PowerPoint, Eric. So the it's a new covenant. So let's look at the word new. In the dictionary, the word new. Now, you guys can't see this. But for four years, I've been believing for a big screen television in the back of the sanctuary. And I can read every word back there clearly. That is nice to have. And that's what Reese asked. He says, I, yeah, oh, we were one component short, but we got it working now. And... Um, so that's new, having recently come into existence. Praise the Lord. And I got a list of things I'm believing for, and you know, you just put a line right through it. Fulfilled. It's novel. It's new and not resembling something formerly known or used. It's something lately made, invented, produced, or come into being. Lately introduced to our knowledge, not before known, recently discovered, the new covenant. So the new covenant that we're talking about, it's something that's new to us. It's something that was recently discovered. It is different than the old covenant. It may be new. It may be novel in its, in its existence. But the nice thing about the new covenant is it took all of the good out of the old and built upon it. You know, it's kind of like, like this. Take a, take a new car. Right? There's always a reason why you get a new car. I mean, there's some benefit. There's some circumstance. You know, if your car broke down and you're on a bike, you get a new, you get a new car because you have a need. Maybe you have to go to work. Maybe whatever it is. But 
you know, you, you get it for a reason, right? It has some kind of value over the old. There is some value in the new that's greater than the old. Otherwise, you would have kept the old, right? And been satisfied with the old. But there's some new benefit. It doesn't, you know, and it doesn't even matter how new it is. You take advantage of the features of the new car, right? I mean, you got one with windshield wipers. So you no longer have to stick your arm in the squeegee out the window to clean the water up, right? So you take advantage of the window wipers. Or maybe you got the auto shut-off headlights. You like that because you no longer have to turn the switch when you shut your car off and you don't forget and you don't have to call AAA, right? Because your battery went out. Nope, car automatically. You take advantage of the new features. You take advantage of the benefits. Maybe it's got air-conditioned seats. Those are nice in Arizona. They're nice. You know, if you're in the, in the north, maybe you got heated seats. I mean, even here, my wife's got a car with a heated steering wheel. Put your hands on there. It's so warm. You take advantage of that. You don't go, well, I got all these benefits, but I'm going to drive this new just like it was the old. I'm not going to use the power seats, not going to use the seat coolers, not going to use the air conditioning. I'm going to treat this car just like it was. No, we don't do that. It's new because we needed the new. So it doesn't even matter if your car is used. I mean, just think, if you had an old used beat-up car like that, there's a reason or benefit that you get the new used car. Sometimes it takes a while to understand the benefits of the new. Amen. Are you seeing the correlation here? Sometimes it takes a while to understand the benefits of the new. But we should actively want to understand the benefits of the new. And in order to help you understand the benefits of the new, the maker provided an owner's manual. So you'd know how to take advantage of the features and the benefits. Ever, I mean, I'm... I'm notorious for this. Cell phones. They're not even cell phones anymore. Handheld computers, right? They're, they have a mobile phone option, but they've got email and text messages and games. Anybody playing a good game in here this morning? Um, I, just, I mean, there are all kinds of things. Mine's got a, a pen and a notepad. It can convert the text that I write, or I can use the keyboard. It's got a built-in keyboard. I don't know how to do most of the stuff this, this cell phone will do. Uh, it's, oh, it's got cameras? It's got a video camera? You remember the, the, your first VHS? Mine had a shoulder pack and a massive camera. Did it do color or was it just black and white? I, you know? I mean, and now I've got all that right here. I can do pretty much everything I can do on my computer there. I've got Microsoft Word. I've got Microsoft Excel. I've got all that stuff on. And, and still, I don't know everything this phone does because I haven't taken the time to read the owner's manual. This is the owner's manual for life. How many of us are unaware of all of the benefits and features available to us because we don't take time to read this owner's manual? No, we're just going to listen to what the preacher says. 
Or maybe we'll listen to what our friend tells us happened Sunday, so we'll know a little bit about how to operate this vehicle of ours. This is an owner's manual for life. God designed it so that we could read it to find out what all the benefits and what all the features of life are for us. So there's a purpose of the New Covenant or New Testament, and it was to deal with the curse. I mean, because think about it. If all you had was the Old Covenant portion here, you just had the Old Covenant portion, right? Everything you would read would be in light of the curse. I mean, we've read that in Malachi, right? How have you robbed me? You have robbed me in your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. I mean, we read it in there, and I'm going to read it here in a second. There is a benefit. There is a purpose to the new covenant or the New Testament, and it was to deal with the curse. So go with me to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. See, there's a whole lot of religious people that need to go back to Genesis and read this so that they can understand what is in the curse. Because if you're a New Testament believer, the stuff that's in the curse, you've been delivered from. And it's time to stop living with it strapped around our neck. Genesis 3, 16 through 19. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow. Stop! See, I used to be told that this said that it will multiply your sorrow in childbirth. That's not what it says. It stopped its thought because the next word is and, which is conjunctive. It means I will multiply your sorrow. I will, your emotions now will be an issue for you to have to understand, to have to live with, to have to, un, to figure out how they, how they work. Now, I'm not saying that men aren't emotional, but I can tell you that women have a tendency to be more sensitive and emotional. If you allow it to be, it can overtake you. Why? Because it's part of the curse and your conception. So both of them will be multiplied greatly. Not only your sorrow, but also your conception. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. You know, that's part of the curse where you have to be so dependent on somebody else. We're supposed to be cooperative. We're supposed to be one. But I tell you what, I, when I watch old movies, when I look at history, I mean, you see this curse in operation. The wife can't do anything in the house without her husband's permission. She can't spend a penny. He's in charge of everything. Right? And it because it comes from poor interpretation of the scriptures. I was I had a meeting with a gentleman about a huge event that we were uh, one of the, the organizations I was working with was looking to put on, and he was involved in that area of ministry and he wanted to be uh, involved in it. And then he mentioned something, you know, we were talking, he said, well, I want to be a better husband. I know I need to take more control in my family. I know I need to be more authoritative. I, I said, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. This is about 15, 20. I said, well, wait a minute. 
Based on what? Well, you know, Paul said... Yeah, well, he was, Paul was dealing with a cultural issue that had much to do with this very curse. Well, the short end of the story is he decided he didn't want to be involved with our project because we thought women were individual ministers of the gospel and had a right to be the chosen people of God. So you shall, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That is part of the curse. I don't rule over my wife, which creates some very interesting discussions sometimes when I forget that principle. <laughs> Amen? Verse 17, let's move on from that. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life. You wonder why we have to work so hard, 40 to 50 years, to retire on 40 to 50% of what you couldn't live on before? It's because of the curse. It's not the way God designed it or intended it. But that's the way you've been trained. That's the way the schools teach you. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you bound to the system. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. I mean, that is the curse. Murphy's Law is the curse. You're not subject to it. I just read it here in Genesis. It says it this way in Malachi 3.9. It's quoted it a minute, a minute ago. Malachi 3.9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even in the whole nation. The Old Testament, the curse is that way. It doesn't only want to curse you. It wants to curse you with the curse. It wants your family cursed. It wants your children's cursed. And that is not what the covenant of God was intended to provide. That's what sin provides. And that's why we needed a new covenant. That's why the new covenant was so important. The curse was a portion of the law pointing out sin that led to death. And that's why when the law was given to Moses, it was called the law of sin and death because the law was righteous. But it pointed out the effects of sin and how it led to death. Go with me now to Romans chapter 8. Let's read verses 2 through 4. Romans 8, 2 through 4. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. See, what God said is, I'm only going to be able to beat sin with what sin beat. See, sin beat mankind, so only mankind could beat sin. So God said, I'm going to send a sinless man. He'll know sin just like everybody, every other man ever has. 
but he'll be sinless. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, God wanted us to live in a newness of life, wanted us to live according to the Spirit. And I thought it'd be good this morning to share a little bit of a story. See, our new covenant has some similarities to a car I once owned, a 1970 Chevrolet Camaro. Technically, it was a 70 and a half because they only made that body style for half a year. For your car aficionados, I knew you'd like to cl that clarification because in 1970, you could still buy the 69 body style. It was jet black. It had a 350 inch cubic 350 cubic inch engine with a tunnel ram. Now, this is not a picture of my car. I looked. I could not find a picture of mine, but it looked almost identical to that. Now, mine had a tunnel ram. This one's got a supercharger. So for those of you who don't know anything about cars, don't worry about it. But for those who are technically accurate, Jimmy, if you're watching today, see, just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear. So let me go over this. The New Covenant, we also know as the New Testament, provides benefits. Amen? In a secular parallel, this car did as well. First, the New Covenant provided salvation and thereby entrance into heaven. This car provided entrance into an exclusive early model Camaro Club. Right? Right? So just like heaven provided entrance, this car got me into places I otherwise could not get. Number two, the new covenant provides signs and wonders as a witness. Why? So that people will see and acknowledge and experience the anointing of God, right? Well, when I would drive this car, it made people see, acknowledge, and experience the power. You could feel it when I drove this car. It literally shook the road. It was loud, and it was fast, and it was pretty. Number three, the new covenant provided love, joy, peace, endurance, usefulness, virtue, fidelity, meekness, and self-control. This Camaro brought me lots of joy. It taught me endurance because if it wasn't perfectly operated, it required a lot of patience. It was useful in ministry. And I had to exercise self-control when I was driving. Though it did light the tires up something special. It was fun. Number four. The new covenant provided a return for the sacrifice. Whatever mankind sows, they will also reap. This Camaro was eventually sown into the gospel to bring God's redemptive hope to many. Number five, the new covenant provided life and life more abundantly. But let's just pause here and realize that the New Testament also, this new covenant also, has a requirement 
Go with me to John chapter 14 and 15. I want to read this from the Amplified. If you really love me, you will keep, obey my commands. And in Luke 6, 47, it says, Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. See, the, the, the covenant doesn't operate any old way you like. Do this and live. Do that and die. And most American Christians now believe that God's covenant should operate however they like. God loves everyone. Therefore, God loves my gayness. God loves everyone. Therefore, he loves my sin because grace covered it. Therefore, I will keep on sinning that grace may abound even more. Didn't you read that in the word? Well, see, that's the problem. They haven't actually read the owner's manual, and they've never gotten into actual covenant with the creator. They're not communing. They're not fellowshipping. When we venture outside of the biblical covenant, and that is the sayings and commands of God, we literally restrain God. It's not God restraining himself. It's not God wanting to see anything happen to, to you or to somebody else. We literally restrain God. He has a covenant. He said, do this and I will do that. If he doesn't keep his word, then what good is his word? Well, I think God should. Well, good for you. You're not God. So what you think doesn't matter. What about grace? Should we sin more that grace would abound more? Paul said, certainly not. What about grace? Grace provides favor when used gracefully, when used in accordance with the word. Thank God for his grace. His grace is what will take somebody living in sin and keep God's arm protected around him till the very last breath in order that they have an opportunity to receive and become a child of the king. It's his grace that allows nations to survive when they turn their back on God because of the people. It was because of the grace that Abraham had that God negotiated with Abraham on saving a city. It was because of the grace of God that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and was able to, to advert the extinction of human race. Grace is not a license to disobedience. See, my Camaro also had a requirement. That requirement could be found in the manufacturers and their performance manuals. It required exact ignition timing. I mean, it would run if you got it off a little bit, but it wouldn't run unless it was exact. And if you're a car guy, you know what I'm talking about. When you put your foot into it and all you feel is the thrust into the back of the seat, the front end coming. I mean, it had to be right. Otherwise, it would stutter and stammer. and It required precision tuning of the two carburetors. 
They had to be progressively synced so that you didn't dump too much fuel before the RPMs got high enough. If you didn't have the stall converter completely engaged so that your RPMs are up when you put it down, you had to have this thing in tune. You had to run high-octane fuel. You could not just pull up to this gas station and put any old fuel into it. fact is, this, these gas stations now don't even have pump fuel you can get. You remember the old ethyl fuel and the old high-performance? We used to use Avgas also when, as a substitute, but we found out that burned the electrodes off the end of the spark plugs. Just ate them. And then companies like Sunoco came out. And we could get the really good stuff. The same stuff we were running in the NASCARs. You mix that with a little high-octane pump fuel, and then you got some real fuel. But it had, to be, it had to be right. And then it took practice and experience. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's one of the things that's missing in the kingdom of God is practice and experience. Believers who are so afraid of failure that they don't practice the presence of the Holy Spirit, they don't practice the Word. Well, what if I lay hands on them and they don't get healed? Your job is the laying on of hands. God's job is the healing. Perfection comes from perfect practice. So get out and start praying God's word and, and, and ministering the gospel and sharing the gospel with people. We need to start practicing to become experienced. But when I ventured outside the manufacturer's guidelines and, and recommendations for the car... The ignition timing was off a little bit. The progressive carburetors weren't set exactly right. Or I ran the wrong kind of fuel. I restrained the vehicle from optimum performance. Was it the car's fault? Nope. It was still that shiny black 70 and a half Camaro. It looked really pretty. I mean, you can look really pretty as a Christian. You can come in in, in Giorgio, Lorraine, Prada, what are some of those other fancy things they have? Louis Vuitton. I mean, you could come in and look just as blessed as can be. But if you're not operating according to the owner's manual, your life is going to sputter, it's going to stammer, and it's going to be just a bunch of show and no go. Now, just to clarify, I'm not saying that my 1970 Camaro is on equal with the redemptive work of Christ in no way. But it's always fun to talk about hot rods. And I don't do it very often. And that, ult that car's ultimate end was the kingdom of God. Everything that we own, everything that you own, should first focus on the kingdom of God. That's the other thing that I find in, in, in the church is people who have a grip so tight on things. Do you know that when you expire from this life, you're not going to be able to take one of them with you? You might as well make what you have of some redemptive value. When God opens up an opportunity to use it for the kingdom, then let's use it for the kingdom. See, God's word, his covenant never fails. It's the things that we release that multiply. Life is full of obstacles, opposition, and bumps. But when we operate in accordance with the owner's manual, when God is intervening on our behalf, He makes crooked roads straight, just like a chiropractor. 
Amen? From the chiropractor section over there. He does. It's not God's fault when we deviate from His covenant direction. Amen? You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.